You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones, as well as the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath asked us to read this. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? No, because the tree was using one of those mics with an on and off switch on it. And those are always off just when you need to hear them the most. Welcome back to the Sickness Noise Podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I'm Chris Leonard and joined by Kyle Churnside and Michael Lawrence. Michael the Handsome, apparently. Mm-hmm. How's it going? Thank you. Thank you for uh, for recognizing, Chris. Appreciate that. Yeah. 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 Kyle, you've been uh, you've been busy, man. You've been moving he some amps, moving some speakers, moving some consoles. What are you what are you what are you doing? Holy shit, dude. Uh my boss, Chris Clark. Which is probably he'll probably listen to the show because he's checking to make sure I ain't talking shit. <laughs> that dude is a fucking machine. Uh, he worked for Morris and Spectrum before he left to come up here at Gateway, and he's the director of audio. That guy works like it's his show day every day, like insane. I made looms today. I loomed four aught feeder ugh, feeder. Ugh, yeah, it was fun by myself pulling it over a wheel, doing the tapes. Um, it's it's fun man i am beat by the end of the day i am beat yeah, you probably got swole at, though right oh dude don't yeah i can peel his shirt off just by coughing right now. <laughs> uh, but i will say this we did do um at live which was george Strait the first night metallica the second night i didn't go which is great that was my goal um largest dmb deployment in america i believe um there'll be an article coming out soon and tomorrow you guys will be listening to this late is actually the groundbreaking of our new facility um uh for the gateway what is it called gateway studios and production services um and it's going to be the largest rehearsal facility in america uh you basically rock lit it's times three so Mm. um in addition, movie, TV, and recording, and other studio facilities, training facilities, it's going to be pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, I'm beat, dude. Like, shop work is no joke. So, shout out to all the shop workers uh, across America because yep. you guys do it, man. Like, flex is no joke. So, if you guys know what flex is, like, that thing's no joke. It's it's it it's it's a handle, man. Like. Yeah. I talked to Chris at the beginning of this. I was like, hey, man, what would you do differently if the wheels weren't turning? And he gave me some advice, especially about flex and organization, and he was completely right. Um, What are you doing, Michael? You just got back from uh, the Outlands Festival. I was at Outside Lands. Um, Then I went down to uh, New York City with with 15 people to go see Phantom on Broadway. We all met up and had lunch, and that was a blast. And then I was at the. Did you uh, have pizza or go to the deli? No, we went to a uh, really cool. De- it's called Daniello's. It's a really nice Italian place. It's right around the corner from the Majestic Theater. Um, and uh, got Bob McCarthy to come out and see Phantom. He did protest a lot about it, but we 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 got him to come out. 
Um, so it was, it was a good time. And then uh, I was at the Rational Acoustics headquarters for a couple of days, and uh, I beat Jamie pretty soundly at bowling. So, nice. so uh, it was Where'd a busy go? week, man. Yeah. Uh, my question would be, what's the coolest thing within arm's reach? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Want me to go first? Yeah. I'll just yeah. get it yeah. out of the way. Yeah, okay, so I got um, my friend Ash over at Heil sent me home with another PR 37. So nice. oh, yeah. that's definitely the coolest things within arm reach. And I'm keeping it St. Louis based because obviously they're right across the river in Belleville, Illinois. So Heil microphones represent. Uh, Chris, there you go. what do you got? Um, I got a Yamaha QL1 uh, because I'm going to dabble into a mixing project. Uh, I'm not going to talk much about it right now, but uh, I I, I have a fun side project that I'm going to work on and uh, get my hands dirty on some tracks. And so, yeah, it's a cool thing that I'm reaching right now. Yeah, I'm going to, I got a double. One is my headphones because I I broke broke one of them and I called Steve at Audix and he sent me a new pair because they're cool. This is the the, the A150. I'm going to say these are the most comfortable cans I've ever owned. Um, Would you agree, Chris? Oh, they're super comfortable. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so thanks to Steve at Audix for that. Um, and yeah, Kyle can't, fi- Kyle, Kyle Kyle can't, can't find, find them. But it's a, yeah. No, my daughter stole them. And um, remember our other sponsor? Yeah, they broke right away. <laughs> this is one uh, one slice of Laughing Cow Cheese. Uh, I'm really getting into that. As Delicious. A Delicious. Yeah, super good. Um, Scoop. Scoop, <clears throat> you're, you're our guest. We'll introduce you in a second. What do you have in arm's reach? <laughs> Um, I have the original Cooper Time Cube from Muscle Shoals Sound. Oh, cool! What? Right there, that gray box. Yeah, neat. Yeah, it's maybe a foot out of reach. Uh, as yep. far as outside of that, I've got a nice VP eighty two. Sure, yeah. Uh, shotgun mic here, perfect for up close and personal. Yeah, especially with the nice. extra large windscreen. It's pretty cool. Yes, it's yeah, very. Chris, tell everybody who we're dealing with tonight. Yeah. Who's this guy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, legally, it's Brett Blandon, but everyone knows him as Scoop, which I kind of maybe I want to ask where that came from. We'll, we'll get there. Um, anyway, Scoop, uh, he's been um, working recording studios, touring, uh, working with Oceanway uh, Nashville. Um, he's He started over the pandemic. I want to talk about you know, Brett's place, right? Um, um, but a, a lot of his most current work is with uh, Lady A's, their front of house engineer. Uh, welcome to the show, Scoop. Thanks for having me. Oh, I can't do the cheering sound. I don't have it. Oh, (laughs) I like your couch. (laughs) Thanks. No click effects. Uh, Yeah, thanks. This is the studio lounge, so it's comfortable down here and quiet. Well, it's, it's funny. I told I, I told I told uh, Scoop. I was like, "Hey, you know, you know, we kind of view the podcast. It's like sitting in the back of the bus after uh, after a show and kind of just talking audio." He's like, "Cool." He's like, "I put my pillow on my studio couch, set up, just had some uh, stinky tennis shoes and a gig bag, and I feel just like we're in the back lounge." So, uh, yeah, just just <laughs> for the occasion. That's it. It's got to be someone else's bag that you have to pick up and move before you sit down to make right. it peru. that or the box of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, Scoop, there's a lot of places to, to go here. Um, I, I maybe let's maybe start with a, a recent thing. Uh, so, Lady A obviously started doing some work this summer, um, and you've been through a myriad of consoles uh, with with Lady A, uh, and notably for 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 me because I've seen this trend lately. Is you went with the D Live on this run, uh, and I'm seeing a huge trend of of Advantis D Live, you name it, out there. Uh, so I'm curious, twofold. What's been maybe your your progression of consoles through Lady A, um, and then how about you know you know this? Why'd you end up with a D Live this time, and how'd that go? 
Cool. I'll sum up uh, the last couple of years and we'll get there. I've been with Lydia since 2010, being at, beginning of 2010. Um, on 2010, we took out a Studer Vista 5. It was a great desk. Um, there was nothing on board as it is with Studer, but even the bolt-on racks were pretty rare. Uh, there was no THD in that desk, although you could throw a football field to the end of the mix bus. It was, it was great for that. And mm. if I was mixing, you know, orchestras and string sections or Streisand or Groban, um, then I'd probably be on that desk still. It sounded great. It did work every day. We had a couple config issues, but it was pretty stable. Um, and not having THD left there and went to an SD five, um, kind of a similar depth mix bus obviously nothing's a studer in my opinion as far as the football field but a good deep mix bus uh with some thd options and um didn't ever really love any of the thd options on that desk uh i went with the waves bolt on for that stuff and still got some of the colors outside the console uh that console uh, waves took that console down once during a show um, it did its thing, the red button, uh, short of losing some hair, uh, the red button brought it back to life and everybody was good. Um, not long after that, uh, went with the, uh, went to the SXL and the SXL was pretty good, except it was pretty new firmware updates. Uh, we were moving into V12, I guess, waves at that time. I was running waves as well. Um, there was some handshake problems between avid and waves at the time that i felt like some of the discussions should have been open to the public a bit more than they were um did have waves crash that desk uh once actually two different shows for the same reason and it was a known reason but not known to anyone except uh the parties above and by the time we crossed the customer service platform I had already said, look, I've got half a dozen shows left in this year. I punted back to a profile. We're going to finish it out and we'll be done with it and move on. The following year, we were supposed to go out with, uh, or in 2020, we were supposed to go out with a PM7. That was the move that I made. Love it. Colors, ergonomics are good. Yamaha fan seemed all great. Uh, pandemic happened and we ended up in a uh, working on budgets for the 21 touring year. And it was kind of like, Hey, well, what do you want to do? And it was, well, you can carry K2 and a profile or you can carry 4889s and, uh, a PM seven. And I was like, Hmm, how about K2 <laughs> and the Allen and Heath? Um, but I was actually, I didn't come up with that on my own. I was having lunch or dinner with Adam Robinson out West in LA. We were both in town for a night and he's like, well, why don't you just do the Alan? He was like, you know, that's great. I've been talking to banks for it for a while uh, about it for a while. Um, maybe this is the right opportunity to do that. So we started putting it all together. Jesse at sound image, who's our vendor was super helpful in pulling it all together. Bangs was great. Um, we had a, a little bit of some growing pains getting into it. My, channel counts a 96 input show usually um and i multi-track everything and i wanted to run the desk at 2496 and there was this was kind of a new adventure with that high a channel count uh with alan and heath and there was some bugs but nothing that the spec wouldn't have told us had we dove in deep enough so my advice is if you're running 2496 and 96 inputs on the d live or higher make sure that you've got the 10 gig nick on a 2018 or higher mac mini uh to be able to handle the bandwidth um and uh, make it stable we ended up using 
uh, tracks live, obviously, uh, actually on Big Sur. I know unsupported, but it was rock solid. Didn't miss a beat. Um, we so anyway, back to the decision making process. We came in honestly at the same budget line item that we would have with a profile with cards and an old old ass Mac to do virtual playback on Pro Tools, and we got a lot higher bit rate and a lot higher um, sample rate out of it, and it was all great. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and we came in at the budget, and honestly, I, I was asked twice today, "Well, would you do it again next year?" I was like. Yeah, honestly, the show's built and short of some, <laughs> you know, moving and shaking, uh, the ergonomics are already in place for the way that I want to use the desk. And mm. uh, yeah, I'd, I'd gladly do it again. I think of note, short of the PM710 kind of Yamaha series these days, anything that's running on an FPGA, we're, we're pretty, pretty apples and apples to apples in sonic quality um you know depth of field i think it comes down to ergonomics i think it comes down to interfaceability fallovers um and channel count and and input path count um as a scalable item but you know people ask me like well how how did you like it it's like it's good it was a desk like it was once you wrap your head around how they put it together and you make the ergonomics work for you um you know we had great sound of shows mm -hmm. even did a bunch of broadcast mixes on it and it was really really tasty awesome yep you know what i was eyeing about the d live is that that dyn 8 processor is really really cool and powerful the you know four bands of multi-comp four bands of dynamic eq i've got on my avantis but the uh the d live has i think 64 that you can insert which is a tremendous number of a very very powerful mix tool so that would be something that i would very much look forward to if i if i moved up to a d live is you can really do some cool stuff with 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 that much processing um, yeah and stay in the box yeah exactly and, exactly and the round trip from gazinta to gazada even with plugs and effects and all that is is super low yeah. look what once again when the d live came out i really felt like alan heath set the curve with you know in and out latency which less for front of house but more for monitors is super mm -hmm. rich for for a psychoacoustic experience for iems and artists so when you keep the numbers down you know 0.8 mm -hmm. milliseconds 0.08 milliseconds that's that's substantial. Look, the Digico stuff with also with FPGA now is also able to get down to those numbers. But um, that's a super big psychoacoustic consideration when dealing with artists and how they hear themselves through the technology. My my way of really telling whether or not artists are comfy with that is if at a rehearsal, if they have their RF mic and they keep their ears in and talk to me face to face mm. through their mic. When they come up and they're talking to me face to face, but they're holding their mic and they've got their ears in, that tells me that this is a natural hmm. process for them, not popping an ear out and moving the mic away to have a dialogue. That tells me something's wrong between hmm. the transducers, if you will. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, one, back to the, the plugs and zeros. Oh. Too. <laughs> yeah. Time. Everything takes time. Time. But the onboard stuff on the. Uh, on the D live, I, I had an S 7,000 surface out onboard stuff was great. Their 1176 was actually pretty passable. Uh, their 160 was really good. Um, um, yeah, I, I think for an all in one, especially guys that are, aren't carrying anything outboard, it's good. I didn't love the reverbs. I wanted to love the reverbs. I didn't love the reverbs. I carried a Procasti and uh, used some waves verbs on the back end. However, I do really have to celebrate it for an all in one solution. Man, I don't think that there's a more cost-effective solution for what you get as far as the interfaceability, channel count, EQ super musical. Um, well, I wish 
the the shelving, the high and low shelving buttons when you click through from making them a curve to a high pass or a shelf. When you go to the shelf, if you have already have a amplitude cut in place, it it starts the shelf at zero, so it doesn't instantly drop in. I'm sure that works well for some people, but it was <laughs> one extra button pr- press for me. But all good, minimal minimal scenarios. So we've. I'm sure that when you said I have 96 inputs, there were some younger people listening or some early career people listening who were like, holy shit. So how do you approach managing an input count like that in a way that's that's controllable to you and it's not, you know, you're not chasing things all the time? So that's a great question. On the S7000, why I went with that surface is I still use my my left fader bucket very similarly to a profile fader bucket. That's usually effects returns, at least the last party of six or eight, depending mm-hmm. on the kind of show that I'm doing. So um, on the D live surfaces, you've got six, six layers, I believe. Yep. Um, and so from the top layer down, um, all of my inputs that I label yellow uh, kind of fill in the space between my effects bucket on the left and my DCA bucket in the center. So I'll roll from uh, layer one that will include drums layer two, bass, keys, whatever, guitars, layer three, blah, blah, blah. And my last layer, my bottom layer on that desk is all of my back of house communication stuff. Matrixes I've got, sub stuff, uh, extra DCAs, uh, B stage things, mm-hmm. comms, talk, talks to video sends, all that stuff that I don't really need to use during a show. And it most often includes house music, a a band copy of the band VCA and the spare mic or MC, whatever I need to do to launch the show or shut the show down can happen on that back page as well. Well, and I imagine also you have to be ready for guest artists, right? I mean, country artists are notorious. We're kind of bringing out some guests. You always have like some guest artist channels ready to go as well. For sure. So this tour that we wrapped up, I guess in September, um, we had three artists, guest artists on stage on top of the already six channels of RF that we had running in our show for principals in various positions over the time as well. Also three band uh, BGVs sit on there as well. So I'm not doing a lot of, um, we didn't do a B stage this year. So because we didn't do a B stage, I didn't build a layer that was mm. just B stage or B and C stage or things like that. I built it all as one show uh, or a collection of layers uh what i wish there was a few more layers on the d live stuff just to be able to have access to uh, aux sends and returns as a general fader bank if you will without having to go fish for them but i I didn't really feel like that was a a drawback to my involvement with the console there's enough hot keys and hot buttons that you can kind of customize the surface to work in whatever set of ergonomics you want to i did miss a fader on on the top of the desk that was a designate or a designated fader for something or a floatable fader for something uh user assigned fader encoder if you will um it's just always refreshing to have a stereo fader on the surface uh rather than having it buried on layer six that's why i like the pro one so much it's got just boop it's got the little the single (laughs) fader up on the top um yeah the other thing i i am i was regarding as a cheat at first and i'm learning it's not a cheat you could make a snapshot that just recalls fader inputs, you know, so you, yeah. so you could have like another whole set of six layers of stuff 
and for sure yeah and so you can really you know that because i have an avantis and it's it's is that what is that what leo was talking about yeah on the last episode yeah yeah. About how okay, all right. That's so cool. you can Sorry. you know if you go, oh my six banks are full. I wish I had three more banks. You can have a user key that that does a different fader configuration. So uh, the the Avantis automation and the the DLive automation are, are really really similar. And so I'm you know if you spend a little bit of time learning how to get that system to work, you can do some pretty wild shit with it. So I've I've been really yeah, Kyle. Oh, sp- speaking of automation, how how much of your show is automated song to song? So cuts are automated. Um, just Dave, our principal guitar player that's up there, he's got seven different RF channels that he's dealing with alone, and I don't want to have to mitigate that stuff in real time. So cuts come and go, um, track playback position. So we do have like a couple extra BGV tracks, a, a extra acoustic track, a Mando track, an extra a couple little stack tracks, if you will. Those things have all come off of various recordings over the years, and they're all at different levels. So I do automate fader position and cuts for those as well. Um, I automate uh, uh, some oxens for some vocals. You know, some people get doublers in some songs and not in the others. Uh, effects times, delay times, things like that. Reverb times and decay. Uh, it's probably a good time to chat about that. My vocal reverb for this was the Bercastium 7. Um, we did uh, control it via MIDI. There's no, of note, there's no MIDI on the desk. So we did a network MIDI box that controlled 10 user plugs basically on the Bricasti of various links and or styles that were recallable. We actually recalled them through the uh, Waves snapshot so that when we fired a snapshot in Waves, it actually fired the MIDI box and changed the Bricasti. Uh, that was really good for being able to... Uh, Lady A is famous for adding songs kind of last minute or day of or whatever, so it made it a really easy song addition snap and everything could move with it within the Waves environment. Um, so I guess that's about all that I'm automating show start, um, and the things that I mentioned. Yeah, I think that's about the extent and that's changing per song Mm. and the song order for this tour stayed the same for most of the tour, but there was additions of a duet for the, with this artist or this artist was on the road. And, you know, to your point, Chris, the, the whole guest Nashville guest thing was alive (laughs) and well. Oh yeah. Explain the MIDI trigger stuff a little bit better with the, um, just simpler so through the waves system you basically put a midi note that will control the bricassi at that point basically yeah it's actually in hexadecimal as all things you know lexicon and or related uh i know bricassi's not but might as well be for, for that if anybody's ever tried uh making doing program changes on a 960 it's about the same now the good news about it is once you've got the hex figured out like Chris Mubrian was my SE on this and he and Tucker crushed it. They did a great job, but they definitely went to the shed for a couple hours in rehearsal trying to figure out the right hex code to put in to get us into the user bank. And after that, we had a little cheat sheet of like, okay, this, this gets us to program seven. Um, and, And it was pretty easy after that, but coughing up the, the hex to get the right encoding. I got to high five those guys or buy them a cup of coffee the next time I see them. 
It's it's funny. I um so I, you know I did go to recording school and like I don't know they start you off and the first class was like MIDI class and like and I'm like when the hell am I ever going to use this right and then sure enough I get on the Groban tour with Will Miller and Model World and you know we got a PM1D and he's got a stack of like um um SPX I mean we had a, I forget why we had all this but he, he explained we still had a stack of external reverbs and like SPX 990s and or whatever outside of it um and he wanted all of them oh and also we had a 5d sidecar that i was mixing all of the orchestra and horns and stuff on and audience mics and we wanted the scenes on there to fire and also to change settings in the in the um uh the other reverbs and and here we are daisy chaining midi in rehearsals to figure out midi i'm like oh that's why i learned this in school (laughs) if only it was always just channels and notes right but then we have to add hex to it oh okay a different class didn't get there yeah well, so you mentioned Chris, who we've had on the show. Um, I, I always ask this question for, for a friend of house engineers. What's your relationship mm. with your system tech? How do you approach that and figure out kind of setting the expectations and communicate what, what you want your system to do? You know, I do a lot of freelance work for different mix engineers. And, and a big part of the job to me is always trying to trying to decode what the front of house engineer wants and how they want their system to respond. And, and as soon as I know that, it's it's easy, right? So how do you approach that? Well, that's really huge to hear you say that, uh, because my joke, I think, with SEs and front of house engineers is front of house engineer says, well, how's it sound? And the SE says, well, it sounds great. It sounds the same everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know. How's it sound? No, it's, it's like it's real even coverage. So to me, to me, that's like the joke. Um, it was kind of no different w- than Chris. Um, you know, we have our great nights, we have our okay nights, and we have our nights that nobody died in. Uh, but most of the time, things are great. Chris did a really super great job deploying a, a very consistent rig in some super difficult places. Um, we had a good time sweating together and working together, and. Um, I really had wanted to work with him for a couple of years prior to this tour. So it was, I was very thankful that uh, Jesse was able to get him, get us together for this. Um, I felt like we had a really good dialogue of stuff when there was something I needed to look out for. He'd, he'd yell at me and the rest of the time he'd let me be nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that knowing uh, also Jim, Miller fish. I don't know how many of you guys know him. Fish was great. I had him as an SE uh, a couple of years. I learned a lot from him. He was also really great at deploying uh, sub arrays very consistently, especially even though they were different uh, from venue to venue in a couple of places in 2012, uh, we had a stage out that they had a huge pit in the center of. So it was kind of like uh, that Broadway show, uh, uh, Starlight Express. Did you all ever see that with all the roller skating people? Mm-mm. Anyway, it was this big roller elevated roller skating rink, and they had sections of the stage that were cut out that people sat in, and people would roller skate all around. So our stage in 2012 had a pit up in the middle of, like, upstage from the downstage edge, as well as a 50-foot thrust. And it was like, well, how do we do ground subs here well they were curved around the front and a party of three either side of the the ramp well um speaking of consistency fish uh had a really good consistent sub array deployment and there was a section of need you now that hillary sings where she's halfway out the thrust and she literally whispers the beginning of the song the word scattered scattered all across yeah right so in the midst of her whispering, there's this boom, 
bump, 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 hit coming out of the subs. So uh, fast forward, we're doing a DVD based on the tour. I'm over at Chip Matthews studio and he and I are tag team in the mix. And we get down to the end of our mix process. And, and I'm like, man, it sounds like she, when she says scattered, it sounds like her mic is doing the old school uh, uh, dual diversity switch. Like it was this little shake and it sounded like it was going back and forth between two antennas. I was like, you know what? I've got a whole bunch of shows multi-tracked. I'll go back and, and just grab scattered from another show and we'll drop it in there. Every multi-track on scattered is doing this thing. What the hell is this thing? It was the subs shaking the wind out of her sails when she was whispering the word scattered. So truth be told, I flew scattered from the Houston rodeo where the PA was forever away from anything sub related. Um, it sounds like David Loy and Kane Brown are having the same kind of consideration with sub moving the uh, lung mechanics out, but back to system techs. Um, it really showed me even more than I had, had considered at that time, how consistent fish's deployment of sub arrays were day to day. So that consistency, um, um, the joke on my end is, is how I feel about my show is often related to how things are at home. So, you know, did you have a good night? Yeah. Is everything okay at home? Um, <laughs> having a consistent SE to, to take some of that insanity out of my artistic side is, is, a a necessary deployment. And I'm very grateful for the great SEs I've been able to work with over the years. You just like have a traveling mathematician tax man with you. That's <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. Well, and Chris loves like, you know, really good hair rock. And we had some really good fun rock and roll moments out front, uh, front of house this year, some midnight oil. He, he wore out some midnight oil this year and it was a welcome adventure. That's awesome. Hey, so I'm curious. So you have a lot of studio background in you. So what's, uh, how, how did you get into, how'd you get into audio? Wow. So, um, I went to Berkeley, moved to Nashville in January 1st, 97, um, served coffee, swept floors, uh, at Masterphonics back in the day, uh, ocean way Nashville opened. And I went over there and I said, Hey, I'd like to get paid to sweep floors and serve coffee. And, uh, Jerry McBee, the, the, uh, studio manager at the time, there hired me on the spot and several years years later i was running the place uh i was a house second at recording arts in town carl tatz's place and um uh at, over at scruggs studio randy scruggs place for a bit um did a lot of freelancing studio stuff in the t at the time around town um learned how to do accounting and manage studios and you know play the promo press game and hobnob with the cooper smoochers there um and so I left Ocean Way to, to work on the first adventure of Brett's Place, which was my little studio literally across the alley from Ocean Way on Music Row. And we did a whole bunch of jingles. I had a Mackie console and a bunch of ADATs, and uh, that was great for about a year. <laughs> and then everybody else had these big expensive Pro Tools rigs, and I, was, I, I had to buy another ADAT because one was always in the shop. And I could only fix them to, to one extent. Um, so anyway, uh, I closed the doors on that place and I became a corporate accountant for, for about a year and a half. And, uh, that company asked me to move to Republic, Missouri, 
that I had never heard of. I looked it up. The only restaurant they had at the time was an Arby's and I didn't like Arby's. So I I'm said, thanks. I'll take <laughs> Republic, Missouri. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so I said, uh, I'll take the severance package and I'll figure out what I'm going to do next, next. And I went to this little dive bar in Nashville with a buddy of mine and uh, the guy that had been my house guitar player at Brett's place. Uh, we were just doing jingles kind of a la Muscle Shoals style. And I hadn't seen those guys in a bit. And uh, the guitar player who had previously been on the wagon that night was off the wagon. And he's like, uh, I said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, well, I'm in the band and we're going to go on the road and we're looking for a sound guy. Can you do live sound? And I said, sure, why not? So he's like, they're interviewing sound guys at SIR tomorrow. Why don't you come over? So I cut out of work early. I was hungover from that night. I remember I wore two different black shoes to work that day. <laughs> uh, I got to SIR and uh, and it was a Sony artist, young Sony artist. And I kind of faked my way through it. Not hmm. going to lie. Like I, I had rung wedges in a club and I, I knew signal flow inside and out. And I could get around the studio real easy and I could talk a big game. And, uh, so pretty quickly he was like, yeah, let's go. And I got my first road gig and, um, I, I learned pretty quickly that I didn't know a lot of stuff, uh, but I've been very fortunate on that flight path to have a whole lot of great teachers. Um, I think one of my favorite stories about learning and growing was, uh, I was out with that artist, uh, on Sony and I was in the hockey arena in Ogden, Utah, uh, where they do the curling Olympics stuff. And we were opening for Lone Star at the time. And Cam Beachley was the front of house engineer for Lone Star. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Cam, but like he was scary as hell to me. I was this little kid and Cam's this like refrigerator of a guy. And he's really like stern and massive. I came out of the shoot really hot and he was graceful, but like I was just scared to death of him. And he he pointed at my faders and my faders were all at different levels because I was a studio guy. I was changing head amp levels and having less or more fader level. And then he pointed at his H 3000 that he was on and all the faders were at unity all the way across the desk. They pointed back at my faders <laughs> and he pointed back at his faders. And that was all he said. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> So it was definitely a kind of come to Jesus, get real, uh, thing, uh, can't that, that really changed kind of my flight path. Um, Chris Sully was really inspirational to me when he kind of started talking to me about mixing through matrixes to feed PA and all that, that was a different thing. He was out mixing Luke Bryant at the time. Um, man, I've just really been thankful to have some awesome engineers through the flight path, mm. uh, that weren't scared to, to to point shit out and, and, uh, help somebody that had an opportunity to grow. And I don't have it all figured out, but, um, if I do, and, I, I won't be on the next podcast. No, I was say, anyone who says he hasn't figured out their line. Yeah. Just saying, yeah. totally. Liar. Totally. Yeah, or they're a stick in the mud <laughs> gig that, you know, you haven't left this venue for 40 years or something like that. Cause those people yeah. exist, but they're generally not too happy to be around you. From what for I, sure yeah <laughs> there's one venue i i talk about it all the time and i never named it but it's a it's a particular venue and just uh, name it no dude i'm not doing it it's in nashville oh. it's in nashville and um 
my first tour Isn't went through there and I was 19. Don't talk shit on the Opry. Nah, no, man. Not, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> and this dude, this house guy had been there forever. He took one look at me and decided, fuck this kid. He doesn't know anything and was just uh-huh. a dick to me all night. You know what I mean? It was just... All right. So I'll, I'll bet you that his name was Frank and you didn't give him a joint. Because <laughs> uh... that guy, if it's the same guy. Uh, I haven't seen him in a long time. If it's the same guy, he was a great mixer, but he was totally that guy. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, my band comes up and all of a sudden he's looking over the console. I know what you got going on, man. Like I see what, I see what this is. So it was just, uh-huh. there was a lesson there though. You know, there was a lesson yeah. there. For sure. How about, so I'm, I'm curious from, from a lady, a standpoint um, with, with the, uh, from a, from a vocal standpoint, I, maybe kind of two questions here. One, uh, so you get you two lead male vocals and a female vocal, right? From, from a front, from front standpoint, are Correct. you using, are you using different capsules across all of them or are they the same? And then from a harmony standpoint, I mean, like every one of their songs, it's like harmony, 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 harmony. Um, how does the blend of that work? Is there, what kind of finessing goes into there and, um, to, to kind of, uh, meld that together. All right. So to answer your first question, uh, I'm a big fan of keeping everybody on the same capsule or finding a capsule that works best for all three interchangeability phase cohesiveness. I know they're running around all the place and phase kind of goes out the window, but keeping flavors similar is, is pretty important to me and has become more important over the years. Uh, back in the day I had Charles on a 965 when it had first come out. Uh, not a super big fan of that, but with Hillary and Dave being on 935s, it was just a really big color difference. And those three sound great when they're just sitting there singing together. Um, I think that should be be celebrated and, and kind of brought to the surface. So we have until recent, until this uh, year, been on E935 Sennheiser product for several years. Um, it's a great product for us. Proximity is okay. Um, I did feel like that Mike had a little bit of, um, I'm going to say an uneven top end, right? Uh, it, there was a little bit of top end embellishment, a little push, but I felt like Hillary, especially when she's pushing into her higher range, she gets a little pointy at two, seven and four. Um, and, and I feel like that mic kind of does a little bit of that on its own. I'd never been a fail and still a fan of that mic. But this year we made the switch to a new Sennheiser capsule called the uh, 445. And the 445 is a super cardioid, also dynamic microphone, um, but the it's titanium, it's got a titanium top end. So um, the way I would describe the top of it is it is embellished, maybe a slight bit more than the, the 935, but it's real even. It's a real graceful curve in the top. So I felt like it brought some air out in the Charles and Dave department. I felt like uh, it was more honest to Hillary in the management of that two, seven and four, which I do do a little bit of, uh, uh, Honestly, I had been doing a C6 on her over, over time, but speaking of phase, that kind of has items of it own, its own. Um, I was out hanging with uh, Chris Lord Algae in his studio a couple of years back, I guess 2017. And I'm like, "What? show me what you're doing. He was mixing a Lady A thing. I was like, show, him, show me what you're doing. He's like, oh, it's just the blue stripe. I was like, oh, 1176. I was like, well, that's hip. And so we popped it in and out. And, um, so that's kind of my go-to on Hillary now is the blue stripe 1176. It's got kind of a, a push in the low mid. It's got a little pull down on the top end and it makes that two, seven and four far more forgivable in her. And also brings out the resonant stuff when she's in her, 
and some keys that are a little bit lower than where she has power. Uh, Charles, not warmed up, is real pushy in the 330s. And when he's warmed up, that moves consistently up to the 500 mark. So the both of the capsules, the 935 and the 445, both manage that frequency pretty well. Um, speaking Dave and singing Dave are two different Daves. Uh, Dave loves to eat the mic. So there is some proximity consideration with him, even with the dynamic mic that, uh, that I usually manage. And my, my flat EQ, uh, the way I wake up all of my blank channels, if you will, of four bands of EQ, the low band, and I'm not talking the the high pass, right? High pass is a, is a sure. filter of its own, but of four filters, my low filter is always set to shelf. So being able to pull that shelf in a little bit and, and make that curve into the low mid range and vocals is just an easy grab and go from broadcast to, to live for me. There is a shelf on most of those. Um, but even though my nickname is scoop, I, I, I do kind of tend to follow the passive EQ department. So most things for me are a cut and not a boost unless I'm in baseland or, um, pretty much just base. I think everything else is pretty much suffers a attenuation rather than a boost. So usually there's a low mid boost or a low mid shelf that tapers into the vocals higher, obviously on Dave as he's singing more of a tertiary part, uh, less of that on Charles and Hillary, but primarily because they, their interplay of their low mid is very, uh, happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep that as rich and warm as possible. Um, I do very minimal stuff to them. Um, in fact, I think by the end of the tour, I was only using the onboard EQ on the D live and the 1176 modulation or a uh, modeled compressor on the D live. And I had, I wasn't doing anything else in waves on them. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for the source being good, right? I mean, that's like, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, that's, that's, I mean, that's, I, I think a lot of like some of these A tier artists, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll ask a lot of people, like, oh, what do you do here? And it's like, I turn it up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, cause it's, I mean, it, yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a reason. Well, there. Hillary's got a 20 plus dB dynamic range. So doing significant pop compression on her, especially when there's a thrust involved, is kind of a suicide mission. So being able to really manage color, especially I, I use the comp more for color than I do necessarily mm. compression. Um, that's typically my go-to in the studio as well. Uh, in the studio, I, I've kind of become a big fan of this UAD plug. That's the uh, Neve 88 VR uh, channel strip, but I use it on a vocal bus instead of the vocal channels. Um, and I therefore do less channel compression on the principles and then more of a global vocal bus compression on the end. Plus the 88 VR has a nice little like pop sparkle on the top. So it, it ends up being a nice, even just not in bypass or even not in bypass ends up just being a nice flavor, a color, a little THD on it. That's cool. Kyle's gazing wistfully into the screen. I was gazing. You, I was. I was. Yeah. I was interested. Yeah. I. I like that, and and I was waiting for him to say that he used to use preamps or condenser mics, but I can see where he was going with the dynamic. Uh, juggling three singers like that or three principals at any moment is 
is hard. So mm -hmm. I, I dig the vocal bus thing because I, I think the dynamics, especially in the genre of music that you do, it, it has to be dynamic and colorful. It has to be warm and present. And that's a cool way to approach it. Like a lot of people would do, uh, you know, a condenser mic and a bunch of pre's and you get into some phasing issues with the, the stuff. But I like your approach on that. That's cool that you explained it like that. Yeah, to be clear, also the vocal bus with the 88RS is is strategically and uniquely a studio move for me. Um, my theos as a front of house engineer, if you will, is that everything hits the stereo bus. I don't bus anything. Hmm. That's an old school desk thing for me. Um, yeah, everything hits the stereo bus directly and it keeps phasing and latency considerations kind of out the door. It makes things real easy to manage in the math and logistics department, makes it things real easy to find when they're coming apart at the seam. And it allows me to use master bus compression really as a flavor. Um, I'm typically a SSL G series comp on the snare and an SSL G series bus comp on the master bus. Although this year on the Allen and Heath of note for the first time I went with a 2,500 on my stereo bus instead of a SSL. Um, it was a little bit more open with the Allen and Heath for some reason. So uh, how but, do you break up your buses for them? Um, well, didn't, didn't you just say you don't use any buses though, right? I don't use buses live. I only use a vocal bus for studio work. And ah. that really only got birthed because of labels wanting stems. <laughs> uh, but but it actually became a really cool thing. Like with, I, I said about the 88RS with that little top, that, that bus compression idea works great for studio and post for me. Um, but I still live for my front of house adventures. I still have everything that uh, hits a stereo bus and is managed as one, just like we were back on an H3. Is there anything on your master bus? Yeah, so my master bus, I have um, a, a series, a, a Q10 usually as my first item, which is a Waves EQ, parametric EQ. Then I have either the SSL 4K bus compressor, or this tour I ended up using the API 2500 instead of the the um, the SSL, and that's that's it. Um, and that time is worked out so that subs and matrixes are all you know sitting in the same phase department um nice marmot <laughs> <laughs> i have a visit from an animal pretty much every show i got the love it the ferret yeah the ferret the missy ferrets in my room chris what do nice. you what are you what are you drinking chris crystal light that's just uh well yeah it's it's water <laughs> with, a, with a with a with a mio squeeze energy squeeze in there so. yeah crystal light anyway. i can dig it all pretty right. much <clears throat> um how about real quick um, you know uh so actually i didn't realize the 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 brett's place thing actually happened a long time ago i thought all of that was kind of a pandemic project so um or so, maybe yeah just the, the streaming side of it maybe was i don't know maybe talk about some of that work because it's been, been really fun to watch your progression you've bounced a few ideas off of me or vice versa or whatever but yeah yeah so brett's place the studio Started on Music Row back in the day, and um, when I went on the road, it kind of buttoned up, and I was living in an apartment, bought a house many years ago, um, and Brett's Place was kind of the name of my studio when I was working at home. I have a little tracking space here that I had used it over the years. I didn't use it much because it wasn't the best tracking space, and if I was going to track, I'd go track in a big room and mm -hmm. come back and overdub and mix at my place. So that 
tracking space, albeit fairly small, kind of took on a, a life of its own as a rehearsal environment for bands, a great place to build console files and get people's ears up and off, off the ground and, um, you know, play with gear at, at the house. Right. So in March of 20, Lady A announced that they were canceling their tour. And, um, I, I was in the kitchen when, when they dropped that ball and my girl's like, Oh, are you okay? Uh, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to freak out for a little bit first. And, uh, I don't know, give me a day or two and, you know, we'll figure something out. So I, I want that to sound real cool. It wasn't that cool when it went down, um, <laughs> but it, it happened. And so two days later, she's like, well, what are you going to do today? I said, well, I think I'm going to go play with shit in the basement. She's like, well, for what? And I was like, well, I ain't got nothing else to do. And I got a bunch <laughs> of gear in the basement. So I had wanted to build, uh, uh basically uh, a ghost light you hip to that like ghost lights that are at the edge of the stage and theaters and whatnot mm-hmm. like a caged edison bulb i had wanted to build some of these on mic stands to kind of have as backdrop ideas so i decided i was going to order the parts and build some of these and teach myself dmx and and see if i could get things to go blinky flashy you know at the touch of a button because i all i really knew about dmx before that was that you could run it on mic cable if you had to so uh those kind of worked and I moved them to into my little rehearsal space. And I was like, you know, I'll set up my iPhone and, Oh, maybe I could have six or eight people over here and we could do shows and it'd be a cool little like live, live thing. And yeah, you know, whatever. Well, next thing you know, we couldn't have anybody over and everybody was on lockdown. And I started learning about video and lighting and uh, reaching out to some lighting and video friends about, Hey, you know, it's not lumens, it's foot candles. Oh, right. Cause you know, we're not architects, we're lighting directors and <laughs> ISOs and can camera stuff and, um, aperture and lenses and all that. And in the midst of all of this stuff, um, uh, I was connected with John Harris, uh, who makes the Grammys and, um, Scott Peterson, uh, previously of waves and, uh, Kevin Cleary from ESPN, Jody Elf, a couple other guys. And we started wrapping our head around ways to get bands to John and Jody to mix basically. So we started doing a lot of remote development and a lot of it development. And this whole company called RPG remote production group was born. And, uh, we really vetted a whole bunch of cool stuff and helped grow some cool companies and connect people that couldn't be connected through pandemic. And so in the midst of all of this, over the flight path of about five, four, four or five months, my rehearsal space became a full 10 camera HD video studio with remote integration, um, you know, we had John mix a show in New Jersey in the minute that I heard John, John's talk back from his studio come out of the wedges in my studio, I was like, oh my God, dude, John <laughs> Harris is on my wedges in my house. Um, we did 36 shows, 37 shows now to date That's here awesome. uh, from content capture to integrated live streams. Um, we've done a bunch of Lady A shows, um, John, uh, John Rich. Uh, some st- a bunch of stuff for BMI, Lanco, Seaforth, a bunch of really awesome Nashville acts. Um, and I'm really thankful we've been able to to employ some t- pro touring folks when touring was down. Video directors, camera ops, uh, engineers. I, I even hired a, a gal part time um, over pandemic as as a, a wire tech and and shop kid. And I asked her 
like the first day after she had gone home from being the shop girl. I was like, I'm sorry. I've never really been a shop employer before. Did I do okay? And she's like, yep. Yep. I got home and I had two rack screws and a bunch of wadded up electrical tape in my pocket. And I felt like, damn, it was good to be back in the shop. And I was like, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. Um, so yeah, Alyssa is great. She's been great. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just been a really awesome experience. Super and you, thankful. You, you guys been doing some some training classes and stuff there as well, haven't you? Or so that was a while back. I, I did a, a week long set of classes here called "So You Want to Be a Sound Guy." Uh, I had had a couple venue owners approach me and say, "Why, when you come in here and shit's falling up or coming apart at the seams, why by showtime does it sound good?" <laughs> and my guys that are here every night are having a hard time with it. Like, well, you're getting guys that this isn't their passion they don't have a lot of training they got a lot of stuff they don't know gain staging gain staging gain staging you know like why it matters and and doing your homework why it matters so uh i set up six x32s at my house and a projector screen and a live mic and made a couple outlines and did a week's worth of classes and i think uh i probably should have had a 101 and a 102 class and a 103 class because trying to cram it into like four hours really smokes oh, yeah. a bunch of the kids i think but the good news was as i feel like everybody that was that came to those classes really went out and was more invested in what they were doing That's and good. Ha- had a lot more ammo to go in had a preemptive strike by doing their homework and advancing shows um and had a couple phone numbers to pick up and call when shit was hitting the fan if they couldn't figure it out on their own and you know what man that was worth that was worth it for me that's awesome it's a good yeah. feeling when you do that. No one has asked, and we said it at the beginning, how did you get the nickname Scoop? So that same artist on Sony that I was with when I got the gig wearing two different shoes, um, uh, pretty far down that road with that artist, we were going from Midnight Rodeo in Austin to Midnight Rodeo in San Antonio, club gigs in Texas. And uh, without throwing anybody under the bus which actually has a lot more truth than not in this story the the bus driver didn't make it to bus call and uh so we had to get another bus driver to get from point a to point b and uh, the tour manager also wasn't on that run and due to some you know inner workings of the night i got a phone call from management that said hey so you've got one more stop in san antonio on the way home uh can you play tour manager for that day and i said sure i've never done that before but we can figure it out so i went to bed early and everybody else on the bus was up and carrying on it was that decade of touring for me and um and so i got up the next morning and everybody was man down i got off the bus and i went and met everybody and made a day sheet and and figured out where we were and gear and load in and catering and all that stuff and i was walking back out to the bus and the girl that owned the bus company had hitched a ride with us from austin to san antonio and i didn't know that and when i got out to the bus she was swinging an empty bottle of crown royal around her wrist and the bus door flew open and she's swinging this bottle of crown she said so what's the scoop scoop and at this point all the band was up and cracking the first one open at you know 10 a.m in the front lounge and everybody's like scoop yeah 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 so <laughs> I, I became scoop at that point yeah that's well, awesome i dig it <laughs> it could have been a <laughs> like, lot worse my nickname in college was hollywood and i was like "Ooh, that one needs to go <laughs> <laughs> i used to know this dude named um snack bar 
and snack bar. And it's because he had a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> Wait, was it dirty or like murder? a suicide? Did you, know a, did you know a murder or a dirty or something? Yeah, I know a dirty. Dirty. I know was dirty. A, dirty was the dude in, that was like the fall boy, follow around guy, and then murder. <laughs> murder was the dude at Island Def Jam that was like Jay Z's dude that like did all the little dirty work for Jay Z. Snack bar was cool. I thought that was awesome because he did have a little bit of everything, but his last name was actually Salazar. So, oh uh, yeah, we had a, a PA out with us um, for a couple of years, and his name was Brent Bonfier, but he was Bonfire. Like he was a uh, that was his yeah. That's his nickname. Bonfire is great. Yep. Bonfire is good. Holy cow! What's the worst nickname you've ever heard, Michael? Go. Uh. I knew a dude. Okay. Who, I don't know why he chose to go by KY, but he did. Ooh, because he was slippery. <laughs> he was from Kentucky. Nice, but slick. Like, I'm like, slick don't name it. yourself after slick. that, though. <laughs> Chris, you got You've had to run into a few. Um, man, I, I'm afraid to say a few because I still am in contact with some of them. So that's why I'm trying to. <laughs> um. Oh man, I don't know. I, you know what? I'll just go with uh, I'll go with my nickname that I had to drop after I left MSI, um, and I successfully did, except for a few people who are still at MSI who would still call me this. Um, and Scoop, actually, for the record, I, I didn't mention this. So the first time I met Scoop actually was uh, working the inauguration. So it, was that, MSI was that Obama's yep. first or second when you were out there? Um, I was out for both of them, but I think we met on the second. Okay. Anyway, um, I was and, at the second too. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I enjoyed working at the time. Anyway, my nickname at MSI was Simple Green. Simple uh, Green. I, I remember that. Uh, yeah. And uh, clean everything yeah, up. Well, it was uh, so you know when you start off at the shop at MSI, uh, you work in Sweepland where you uh, where you sweep the speakers and then you clean them and blah blah blah. And, uh, and so we had freaking spray bottles of Simple Green everywhere. And it was a similar thing where, like Scoopa said, like somebody one day was like, "Hey, where's the simple green at?" And this guy Brian laughing was like, "Oh, he's over in Sweep, ha ha ha!" You know, like made a joke. He just like, and then, "Hey, he's simple green. He's simple green. He's new and and he's simple." You nice. know, and, like and it just and it stuck like to the point where like I mean, it's one of those things you 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 can't fight a nickname no, once, no. once it's given to you. So you, nope. I had an email address with the na- the name in it. I mean, I had artists <laughs> and tour managers who would just like so Anthony Hamilton. He what's up, Simp G? Like he would even like shorten it like and it was like you just yeah. write it out it is what it like is when i left Australian. when i let when i left um when i left um msi i was like i'm gonna drop this so <laughs> i've had two i've had two i'll go ahead and pull them out uh first one was dad because i was the oldest dude go figure and uh, oh, we, still call you, we still call you that yeah and and then the second one was razzle dazzle k razzle k razzle dazzle yeah and it was from uh Bill Murray in Stripes when he does the thing razzle yeah. dazzle you remember that yeah so every once in a while I get a phone call and they'll be like what's up razzle dazzle and I'm like oh no nice. I, I know him from like a time period of when the <laughs> nip- nicknames like set in oh that was a good side note I had fun <laughs> with that <laughs> somebody a bunch of other people are about ready to have more fun with it just so you know <laughs> yeah razzle dazzle welcome back Welcome back, Razzle Dazzle. All right, Michael, hit it. All right, so uh, we're going to come visit you, and you're going to take us out for food to your favorite place. Where are we going? Cool. Um, Are we, like, 
nice place or like my kind of literally like anything place. that you favorite want us place. to experience. So in Nashville, there's this rad pizza joint called Slim and Huskies. Two weeks in a row. Hold on. Yeah, two weeks I in know. a row. Pizza. Two pizza places. We would do like 126 episodes with no mention of pizza, and then back yeah. to back pizzas. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, there's plenty of good eats in Nashville now, but I, I have to say, that if you're visiting Nashville. And you can go to the original, which isn't far from downtown. There's one right downtown on Broadway now, franchise. And the product's equally as good, but the vibe's a little bit cooler kind of out in the hood. Um, on Buchanan Street, there's this joint called Slim and Huskies. And they have all kinds of different like flatbread pizzas. The Slim's the smaller one and the Huskies the bigger one. Nice. And my choice, if I have to say, and we eat plant-based most of the time. My girl and I eat plant-based most of the time. But guilty pleasure given that we're flexitarians. Uh, I, didn't ah. that. I didn't coin that. I, Chris Rate's wife coined that. I like where anyway, you're going. Um, they have this hot chicken pizza there, and it is like banana peppers and hot chicken and jalapenos and this like honey drizzle with this dill ranch base on this butter flatbread thing. It's like Man. the most perfect thing. It's solid. The dill and, ranch thing sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, imagine like all that. So you got this smooth, like with mild herby thing with this hot chicken with the jalapeno aroma yeah. stuff with this sweet drizzle on. Forget about it. Hmm, man, yeah. I am freaking hungry right now. Scoop <laughs> nailed it. Like out of 120 some of it episodes, like he described it to where I'm like hungry. I'm going, I'm going to go eat it at this place for sure. Yeah. Road trip. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Flex y'all holler at me. Do you call it, do you call it <laughs> vegan vacation too? Are you like, no, that's pretty good though. We should, we should, uh, we don't even call it cheat night anymore. It's just like, Hey, I want this. Okay. We're going to do that. We, (laughs) there's no like guilty things. I think the only time that I get kind of some backlash about that is like when she's on a monster green day and I'm like a don't care day, then I get a little flack. She's like, well, we're going to eat healthy today. All right. Yeah. We're going to eat healthy today. Right. You know, like (laughs) it's going to be like that. Yeah. Uh-oh, don't let her listen to the episode. <laughs> no, no, it's great. She'll she'll love it. She'll love it. That's awesome. Chris. All right, Scoop. So if you could, um, wow, there we go. You're I right? lost it for a second. Yeah, I lost it for a second. Uh, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Wish I got that one front loaded. Um, <laughs> Personal or business related? Your yeah, either. So I, I will say this business in general. My, I love my dad. Um, my dad's great. He's still around. He was uh, great in construction industry. He's retired. Um, he's got a couple good quotes that are uh, that I still say often. One of them is, he who throws dirt loses ground. I think that's really solid. You know, it kind of goes synonymously with the people you meet on the way up and the people you meet on the way down. Um, it's all connected. Yeah. More importantly, a quote, and like I think this would probably sum it up for me. Uh, when it comes to hiring people, right? Taking people on the road, don't hire the right cat for a job. Hire the right cat. There's gonna be a lot of jobs that people are gonna need to do on the road. And there's there's good hardworking people that can do lots of good jobs. But if you just hire that one person that's good at that one job, man, when something goes down or somebody gets COVID or whatever it is, man you might not have the ability to shuffle and I'm thankful to be out with lady a, um, they've made it a point to hire good cats, um, that are good at lots of different jobs and, and okay at some jobs. But when 
things got to move when things, when you hit pitfalls and you got puddles coming up or, you know, the lid's got to come in because it's three minutes to, to weather. Um, man, it's just, it makes all the difference in the world being on a crew with the right people, not the Mm. right people for a job. So I like, uh, every year I try to take on somebody new and pay it forward. I don't have any kids of my own. So, um, uh, the affectionate term for them around here is minions. (laughs) And, uh, and, but like Ron Lark, I don't know if you guys know Ron, um, the great engineer, uh, in LA, he, uh, mixed Kendrick Lamar for a long time. I'm not sure if he's still there, but he was one of the first cats that I had over and, and, uh, you know, just being able to pay it forward and kind of more importantly, learn from, from them, right? Like we're all students. Um, but yeah, the legacy I would like for those, those people that I pay forward something to, to continue to surround themselves with the right people and learn from those people as well as pay back that same direction. That's awesome. No, I, it's it. I mean, I mean, that's, we've we've been investing this year into you know a pseudo mentorship program. Uh, I say it's program because it's loose based, right? We, it's based on the people who want to sign up for it, both men, mentors and mentees. Uh, we have Michael at this point. We have forty. Is it forty pairs? Forty pairs of mentors and mentees. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's just something like, you know, we've kind of been talking about the idea of mentorship, and Kyle actually kind of started it in our Facebook group. Like, Facebook group had like a feature. Razzle like, Dazzle. <laughs> ra- oh, sorry. Uh, Razzle Dazzle. RD, the, the R&D department. Yeah. <laughs> oh. This is, this is growing up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're coming and, uh, on next week. And it was like, man, we, you know, we, we, hey, we need to, t- you know, we obviously have listeners um, and contributors who are outside of Facebook. It's like, hey, how can we take this Discord? How can we take this to just everyone? And and so it's like, uh, you know, we kind of set up just to, um, you know, fill out a formal line. Um, and 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 Michael um, tirelessly pairs people up, and, and like, it's not just rock and roll. There's theater. There's corporate. There's whatever. Um, and um you know and it's you know, it's it's been really cool to see these things come to fruition um i've seen people um you know i had a person message me the other day um and i hadn't spoken to them in like i don't know two months they're like hey i listened to what you said and i, I have an interview lined up with sound image and i'm, I'm, I'm moving to nashville you know yeah. and it's like um it, it's, it, working. it's 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 raw, raw sound image it's yeah, and the, the giving the giving back thing, hundred percent. Like that's that's. I mean, it's half of why we're doing what we're doing is is to, um, we we want to impact the next generation of this industry. They're gonna be taking care of us. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, and I and honestly, like, I've learned so much from from everybody that's come in the door. Uh, you know, everybody's got their own life process and brings new thing, new cool things to it. And I, I've been fortunate enough to to be able to hire the right people. Mm. um through the flight path and just get a lot more out of it than just gear and gab you know yeah like oh cool went hiking here cool we water ski i don't know like uh todd wines kurt jenkins uh kyle shepherd you probably know all of those guys mm-hmm. uh, i've got an old mastercraft ski boat and we all like to water ski and so we do bible study whenever we can on the water early morning some summertime we didn't get we didn't do a really good job at connecting this year uh, just because of everybody's busy schedule. Sure. But just having that fellowship to be able to talk about life and family and gigs and gear, and I'm having a problem with this and an environment to be vulnerable, therefore an environment to be able to grow and connect. Man, that stuff is like super, super important from next generation to past generation to the now. Um, the, The friends that, that have really 
come out of the woodwork. Like I'll, I'll just, I'll go on record saying this, man, I couldn't stand Claire for years. Couldn't stand Claire. Like there was plenty of cats over there that had bad attitudes and wanted to do things the wrong way. And I, there was plenty of, there was a couple guys over there that I'd go to war with any day. Like that were super solid rad dudes, but, I, but I have to like champion Claire as a company and what I've witnessed in them in this, in the last year, man, there is this major shift there with following the same set of theology, if you will, of good people doing good things, doing the right things, helping each other out, going the extra mile, being a more loving, unified industry rather than a segregated industry. I really got to really give a big shout out to Bull and some of those guys over at Claire, man. They've, it's, it's, it, and if it started with Sean on the way down, I don't know. I'm not really connected to them a lot, but it's undeniable. Um, how our industry as a whole, Claire included, has really unified through this pandemic thing. I feel like we're all kind of closer than we have been. Yeah. The the friends that we've been making through just even the pandemic time is huge for us with the podcast as well. And it's starting to show now that shows are back and people are coming through town. Shout out to Zeus and Dan with the Luke Combs crew. I got to hang out with those dudes the other day. We talked about three minutes of audio and the rest of the time that we hung out, we were talking about food and family and what we did. And it, it was refreshing. Like you said, um, your Sunday Bible time I, I spent with Dan and Zeus and, and caught up personally with those dudes. And it's brilliant, man. This thing is coming together. When I was a kid and I started mixing and I've said this on many other podcasts, like, the other engineers and the other SEs and the other techs for the big bands really didn't want to reach their hand out to us. It took a, a big person to do that, you know, and there was a few of the elders that were up there that would stop and take their time with the new people coming through the system. And now with technology and podcasts and the network that we have made through all these companies, sound image, Claire, eight day, like, even spectrum shout out to spectrum spectrum it, it solo tech i mean all yeah. these places have hired insane good people and it, it's brought a community together it's like chris said on thing while we're talking to all these mentors i i'm just like i'm just talking to my friends like mm. they're just my yeah. friend they're just yeah. my friends now and yeah. they do have my back i didn't have to hire them for anything like we just had to sit and chat and get to know each other and it's yeah. it's it makes this Everything that we do now is worth every second that I spend behind this microphone, for sure. Y'all got a cool thing, for sure. Everybody talks about it. Like, I high five to all y'all for, for keeping this going and bringing everybody together, man. Once again, it's just another forum for you to, to promote unity and give us a place to talk about things and listen to things and talk about pizza. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you for Thanks, saying, man. That. Yeah, that's cool. awesome. And thank you for being here, dude. For sure. Yeah, man. Thank you yeah. guys for having awesome. me. All right. Man, <laughs> what, start 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 that over, scoop. All right. So uh, so this is an aside. So I get calls from parents or friends or professionals, whatever. Hey, my kid wants to be a sound guy. Uh, they've been playing in a garage band, this, that, the other. We're getting ready to send them to school. What school do you recommend? Should they go to an engineering school? Should they blah, 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 blah. And you ask the kid, hey, what do you want to do? Oh, man, I've been on my four track or my, my Ableton, whatever. And, and yeah, I think I want to do this for a career, but I want to do live sound. Like, tell me how I could get into it. And I tell them, you need to go get a job. 
as the assistant to the monitor engineer at the loudest rock club you could possibly find in your area. And you need to not collect a check, do it for free, and learn everything you can from that guy and keep the job for a year. If you could keep the job for a year, that means you learned how to deal with artists or stay out of their way. More importantly, you learned how to deal with the grumpy old sound guy that was throwing shit. And you learned frequencies, you learned signal flow, you learned how to show up to a gig on time every day, every day that you had to be there and you could manage a schedule. If you can keep that gig for a year, call me and I'll find you a gig on the road. But if you lose your gig, you got to start over like a whole nother year. You got to be a a wedge monitor tech at a rock club and you got to survive it. That's my advice. That was my gig from 17 to I quit touring. Like every And look what you're still doing. I... Look what you're doing. You made it. You made it because yeah. you had rock wedge <laughs> chops and the monitor guy didn't kill you. Nope. <laughs> I, I had at my very first club that I did wedges at, I had Melhart amps and the double 12 with the two inch driver wedges on a stage that was 16 feet deep by 25 wide and low ceiling. And dude, I mixed the shit out of that thing. It was so loud up there. Holy cow. Like you're completely right. And the thing that you learn at the loudest route club mixing monitors isn't even when the band is there. It's the stuff that you have to fix before the band gets there tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Because the you're band taking before... a leaf blower to the amp rack to get the extra three <laughs> DB a headroom out of the freaking amps. Dude. And you're I blowing... got to celebrate Kyle O'Connor for that. He he's over at Brooklyn bowl now, but he used to be at 12th and Porter back in the day. And we had some there. great, great times in that. We had some shit. We had some great times, oh. some great late nights, uh, comparing iPod music. Uh, yeah till all hours anyway i called kyle one day and he's like yeah man i just shut off the leaf blower i was like what happened he's like well i just blew out the amp racks and i got eight db more headroom out of the pa <laughs> yeah it looks like chewbacca blew up across the floor yeah, yeah for sure what have you been doing in here yeah <laughs>